Oh, my God. 
Five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Thursday. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Oh. 
J.M. in the A.M., Donnie Gross and Company, from a uh, an album entitled Kumsitz in the Rain. That was, uh, uh, let's see, Achenu, Ka'ayal, and Hine. Before that, Viserov, done by the uh, group called Nigun. And, of course, Regesh, Modani, opening things up. And we say good morning. Welcome to a Thursday on this August 1st, day 29 in the month of Tammuz. It is... Erev Rosh Chodesh Menachem Av, which means Rosh Chodesh is tomorrow, which means that we stop eating uh, meat and drinking wine tonight. Obviously, that will break uh, for Shabbos, but uh, the nine days, the quote-unquote nine days, which this year I guess we'd have to say are ten days uh, because of the uh, (coughs) postponement of Tisha B'Av, it begins uh, tonight. We are at that time of the year, 73 degrees, 84% humidity, winds are calm, mostly sunny today with a high temperature of 89. Then tonight, partly cloudy and a low of 73. Tomorrow, partly cloudy, a high for Rosh Chodesh, 85 degrees. Yerushalayim is at 88. Our friends at Camp Misora up in Guilford, New York, they have a trip day today, and they're at 57 degrees. We're at 73 here in New York City as we say good morning on this very first day of August. And this uh, Erev Rosh Chodesh Menachem Av. We'll get into our uh, spoken word format next week. We'll be doing some of Rabbi Wine's lectures and some other material as well. That'll be coming up next week here at JM in the AM. Um, I got a... Uh, one of the uh, app comments this morning from listener Devora Nachum, I need to send you a recording of the sweetest Jewish music there is. Seventh grade Torah Tachayim boys singing Mishnayot at their Siyum Seder Zrayim. Mazel tov to these terrific kids who are still learning every day through Tisha B'Av. That is, I must admit, uh, compared to what uh, kids here and around the world are used to, it's a pretty grueling schedule, uh, but school literally continues. 
It continues, I guess, that, well, till Tishabov means August 11th. Did I get a break at least for a couple of weeks after that, listener DeVoer? I'm curious. I'm really curious. I know there's a school. Isn't there a school in um, Yerushalayim where the kids are off one day a year? If I'm not mistaken, there is a uh, a yeshiva in the old city like that where they get one day off a year. If I'm not mistaken. Anyway. Uh, lots going on today. Uh, plenty of great uh, guests coming up here at JM in the AM, including Rabbi David Bashevkin, who is going to be joining us in the uh, 8 o'clock hour. He is uh, well-known for his work with NCSY. He's well-known for his uh, brand-new book. He's well-known for his um, take on Jewish life that you could see in Mishpacha magazine on a regular basis. Um... Rabbi David Bashevkin in hour number three this morning coming up right here at JM in the AM. Very much looking forward to it.
the brand new acapella soul volume number six that is uh ari goldwag with an oldie but goodie who claw here at jm in the am before that you heard uh, aka pella with kimal achav amisro chai was ari goldwag 613 with Beni, leif tahor and lakol zman ace and aka pella with rifa enu it's thursday at america's one and only jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored digital radio Around the world, the web at NachumSingle.com, on the NachumSingle Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Galit's on the background. We'll do our news from Israel coming up. Lots happening today here at JMM, including a visit later on in hour number three from Rabbi David Bashefkin, who's going to be with us live in studio coming up here. At JM in the AM. Galaitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Thursday follows next. We say Boker Tov from JM in the AM. Galaitzal, Yerushalayim, Asha'a 2, Shalom Rav, Kan Ran Yavnai, Ima Shekore Achshav. Tragedia Beyavan, Yelda Israelit, Batsheva, Tava Lamavet, Bivrechat, Beit Malon. כתבתנו עמית חדד. בת השבע טבעה היום בבריכה באחד מבתי המלון ביוון. היא נמשתה מן המים וצוותים רפואיים נאלצו לקבוע את מותה. ממשרד החוץ נמסר, האירוע מוכר ומטופל על ידי המחלקה לישראלים בחול במשרד החוץ. עוד נאמר כי קונסולית ישראל באתונה מסייעת למשפחה בהשבת הבת לקבורה בארץ. שביתת האחיות תימשך, כך נקבע בתום דיון הגישור שהתנהל היום בנוחות משרד הבריאות והאוצר. עוד נקבע כי המשרדים יבררו האם יש מקום להוסיף תקנים לאחים ואחיות. כתבתנו ליאס פילקין, שמע את משה בר סימן טוב, מנכ"ל משרד הבריאות, בבית הדין לעבודה בתל אביב. ראיתם אותי פה, אני על גבול של לדמוע ממה שקורה פה. זה לא המועד לסכסוך הזה. אין ממשלה, אין תקציב, אנחנו לא מקבלים את המשך העיצומים. העיצומים האלה מתמשכים כבר הרבה זמן וגורמים נזק רב למטופלים. אלי תביב, לשעבר בעל ביתר ירושלים, קורא לבעל הקבוצה הנוכחי משה חוגג לצרף שחקן מוסלמי לקבוצה על מנת להילחם בגזענות שמובילים ביציעים חבר ארגון האוהדים לה פמיליה. בוני גינצבורג ועידן קבלר שוחחו איתו. במשך מספר שנים נלחמתי נגד הארגון הזה בלי עזרה של המשטרה. יהיה להם קשה מאוד להתמודד עם זה. לפי דעתי הפתרון זה פשוט להביא אפילו שחקן בינוני להביא לשחקן ולגמור עם הסאגה הזאת. אבל עדיין אין לו את האומץ לעשות את זה לפי דעתי. אם לא יביאו שחקן מוסלמי, הסטיגמה תישאר. 
יושבת ראש גשר אורלי לוי אבקסיס מכישה את הטענות של יושב ראש מפלגתה הקודם אביגדור ליברמן לאחר שטען כי נרקמת עסקה בין ראש הממשלה נתניהו לראשי העבודה גשר. לוי אבקסיס תקפה מי שבסופו של דבר יישב עם נתניהו הוא ליברמן, לא אני. אני שמעתי היום את איווט ליברמן שאומר שיש לנו דיל עם מפלגה כזו או אחרת או עם ביבי. לא היה ולא נברא. כאשר עמיר פרץ, שידוע באמינותו, בא ואומר אנחנו לא נשב עם בנימין נתניהו, אתם לא מאמינים לו. רואנדה סגרה את הגבול עם קונגו בשל חשש מהתפשטות האבולה. כתב חדשות החוץ אבי גמולקה. הרשויות בקונגו דיווחו כי רואנדה סגרה את הגבול בין המדינות, בין גומה בצפון הרפובליקה הדמוקרטית, לעיר גיסני שברואנדה. זאת לאחר שמקרה נוסף של אבולה אובחן השבוע בקונגו. בשנה האחרונה זוהו ברפובליקה כאלפיים מקרי אבולה, מתוכם כמחצית מתו. מזג האוויר, ירידה קלה בטמפרטורות, אבל עדיין חם. אלה החדשות שעורכת תמר פלד.
J.M. in the A.M. Avrami Flam off of the uh, album entitled Songs of the Three Weeks. Isn't that appropriate here on this era of Rosh Chodesh Menachem Av? Uh, you heard uh, Al Zehaya, The Little Bird, and Habait here at J.M. the A.M. Quarter after seven on a Thursday on this very first day of August. As I said, it's Erev Rosh Chodesh. The nine days begin tonight. And actually, this year, we would say it's the 10 days, right, with the postponement of Tisha B'Av. The 10 days begin tonight. Rabbi David Bashevkin is um, going to be joining us at hour number three. 
of our JM and the AM broadcast. We'll have an opportunity to go through some of the uh, interesting topics that he has written about and some of the interesting topics I'd like him to comment about. That'll be coming up in hour number three here at JM and the AM. Uh, many of you, no doubt, have heard of the passing of a Rebitson Evelyn Kupchik Rothman of blessed memory. Uh, she is uh, both the sister of our very own Rabbi Yudin, who we will hear from tomorrow. And uh, she is the mother of some very dear friends of ours in the extended um, uh, Kupchik, Landsman, and Skaced families. And I take this opportunity, number one, to offer our condolences and wishes again to the Yudins and to, uh, and to all those who are uh, related to um, Rebitson Evelyn Kupchik Rothman. Funeral took place yesterday, and the Shiva is being observed at the Yudin home in Fairlawn, New Jersey, until Tuesday morning of next week. Any details you need, feel free to contact me, Nachum at NachumSiegel.com, and we'll certainly uh, give out that information in a responsible manner. Uh, but again, um, our condolences, we will, as I say, we will uh, hear from Rabbi Yudin tomorrow. Uh, he is obviously in the midst of Shiva, but he did prepare comments for Parshios, Matos, and Masse uh, before Shiva began. And um, may we only celebrate Smachot. We here at JMNAM, thank God, have a big Simcha coming up. It will be uh, lacking in that um, uh, the Yudins and, uh, and uh, some of the... Uh, some of the other members of the family will not be able to join us, obviously, in this case. But we should have the opportunity, please God, to celebrate more and more smachot in the future. Thursday morning broadcast at JM in the AM with 73 degrees, mostly sunny and a high temperature of 89. Tonight, partly cloudy and a low of 73. And tomorrow, partly cloudy and a high of 85 degrees. 88 in Yerushalayim, 57 in Guilford, New York, where our friends at Camp Misora are enjoying a uh, trip day on this Thursday. We're at 73 here in New York City as we say good morning at JM and the AM. couple of reminders uh, regarding the nine days. Um, first of all, on Tisha B'Av itself, which is a week from Sunday, we will be presenting the Tisha B'Av program that's being done at the New Springville Jewish Center on Staten Island starting with Shacharis at the 8.25 in the morning at the New Springville Jewish Center, the corner of Saxon and Steinway in Staten Island. At 9.15, the Kinos explanations will begin with presentations by Shlomo Y. Siegel, Shlomo Schwartz, Rabbi Yehuda Kovacs, Rabbi Eliyahu Sonnenschein, and Rabbi Yosef Siegel. That's all happening uh, between 9.15 and 12 noon. Afterwards, both Mayor Simcha Siegel and Rabbi Yaakov Learfield of the Young Israel of Staten Island, they'll be addressing uh, thoughts about Tisha B'Av before they get to Mincha at 2 p.m. This entire program is going to be on our network. You can watch it live at NahumSiegel.com. Obviously, you can hear the whole thing on the NSN app. And um, we certainly hope that we will uh, enhance your Tisha B'Av with these presentations the same way we did last year. It was a very, very successful program last year. Uh, you get to hear speakers that you normally do not get to hear. Um, and um, and as, as you saw and heard last year, you have some very, very interesting presentations. That's all coming up on Tisha B'Av Day, 
New Springville Jewish Center. Again, those who want to dive in with them on Staten Island, they start at 825 Sunday morning, Tisha Bav. A reminder that the uh, bake sale to support the Lone Soldier Center happens on Thursday and Friday next week, August 8th and August 9th at Breezy's Dimples on Central Avenue in Cedarhurst, New York. Uh, that's the bake sale that supports the Lone Soldier Center each year. The annual Catskills Nine Days Conference presented by the United Task Force. The question is, when did honor thy children become one of the Ten Commandments? How to instill gratitude and respect in our kids? Featuring Dr. David Pelkovitz, Dr. Hindi Klein, Dr. Faye Zakheim, and Dr. Shoshana Friedman. It's all happening Tuesday, August the 6th. It's coming Tuesday beginning at 1.30 at the Fallsview Estate Shul up in Fallsburg, New York. Information, unitedtaskforce.org, unitedtaskforce.org. The annual Amit Yom Iyun, a day of learning for women by women, will be Wednesday, August the 7th, starting at 9.30 in the morning at the Sephardic Temple, 775 Branch Boulevard in Cedarhurst. A keynote speaker will be Razi Chechik, head of school at Manhattan Day School, her topic, Letters Floating in the Air, the story of the woman who printed the Vilna Talmud. Lunch will follow. Information on meetchildren.org slash yomiyun, meetchildren.org slash yomiyun. And, of course, speaking of Tishabov and the nine days, I remind everybody that we will be there, please God, as we try to be every single year, at the Isaiah Wall for Mincha. Uh, mincha, a, uh, a Mincha demonstration uh, that takes place on Tisha B'Av each year across from uh, the United Nations in front of the Isaiah Wall uh, in support of Jews who are in danger around the world, including in the United States of America. Uh, that mincha starts at 2 p.m. Bring your talis, bring your tefillin, bring your sidurim, and uh, we will have a wonderful mincha service and, um, and have the ability to uh, hear from some great speakers and talk about uh, Jewish communities and individual Jews around the world who are in danger, what we can do to help. It's always a very inspiring and wonderful uh, mincha service, and I really hope that everybody out there will uh, use the opportunity to come and be part of it. 2 p.m. on Tisha B'Av Day. More coming up. It's brand new from Ari Goldwag. You're listening to JM in the AM.
השמיים שייתן בלבחו אבוסוי ויקירוסוי ותהיה יירס השם על פונך כל ימי ימי חייך J.M. in the A.M. Not bad, huh? Birchus Abanim done by Ari Goldwag. That's nice. Uh, Acapella Soul, volume number six. That's where you'll find it. J.M. in the A.M. on this Thursday. It's Erevosh Chodesh Menachem Av. The nine days begin tonight. Rabbi David Goldwasser's words. Zechonishmas Harav Zebin of Yosef Alevi. And Zechonishmas Esther Basar of Alevi. Here is... Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. Good morning. It's interesting to note that when Hashem tells B'nai Yisrael to take revenge against Midian, afterwards, Moshe Rabbeinu was going to leave this world. We find a fascinating Yalkut Shmoni. It tells us that if Moshe was not going to take revenge, 
then he could have a long life. However, Moshe Rabbeinu preferred that he should conquer Midian and be victorious over an enemy, rather than his own personal gain to live longer. The Zerashimshan asked, why specifically was it Moshe Rabbeinu that was to conquer Midian? What was that relationship? And why did Moshe Rabbeinu have to be the one and no one else? The Zerashimshan answers, what is exactly the relationship of Moshe Rabbeinu to Midian? He says there's a Yisod in Kabbalah and explains that when one leader wants to succeed in conquering another country, he must have had some connection to that country that he's going to conquer. If he doesn't have that connection, he will not be victorious. As we see, Pinchas was descended from Yisro, who was able to conquer Midian. David, who was a descendant of Rus, could conquer Moab. Why does the leader have to have that connection? The reason is, is because if the country provided a positive environment when the leader was growing up and it promoted his spiritual growth, then the country is protected by the schuyos of that particular tzaddik. If the land was corrupt and didn't contribute anything to the spiritual growth of the leader, then the land is unprotected and can be conquered. Only that leader, the individual himself, can properly discern what type of effect the country's environment had on him. For that reason, no one else could rise up in war against Midian except for Moshe, because only Moshe Rabbeinu could judge whether Midian had a positive influence or not. And because of this, Moshe Rabbeinu had to be the only one to conquer Midian. We see how important it is that even the environment, even the city or the state in which we grow up has an effect on us. May it always be a good one. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser bringing you morning chizik. Have a nice day. Jam in the AM Thursday on this era of Rosh Chodesh Menachem Av. Plenty coming up, including a visit for Rabbi David Bashevkin in the early part of the 8 o'clock hour this morning right here at JM in the AM. <laughs> Shut up, love.
JM and the AM with a combination of Shalshalas and the Maccabees in our three weeks format, which will end tonight because tonight begins the nine days. We are at Erev Rosh Chodesh Benachem Av here at JM and the AM and everywhere else around the world. Um, many of you are aware of the fact that on Sunday, September the 22nd, the Orthodox Union presents Torah New York indoors at City Field. This is an amazing event, one that, according to what I was told yesterday, is expecting to draw more than 2,500 people to City Field for a day of learning that will offer top scholars, top issues, and uh, really incredible presentations. With us live via telephone, Maish Bain, who, of course, is the president of the Orthodox Union. Maish, welcome back to JM in the AM. No, it's always great to be with you, Nachum. I appreciate that. Why would more than 2,500 people want to spend a Sunday in September at City Field? Well, many of them have been at the previous Torah New York events, and they found them to be incredibly educational and inspiring, both the content of the shiurim that they attend, as well as just being with hundreds and hundreds of people who are jointly eager to learn Torah together. And it's a really incredible experience. This year in particular, it's a little over a week before Rosh Hashanah, a time of year where people are very much looking to grow in their religious relationship with God and, and exploring the Torah. And uh, that's why so many people are already registering en masse for this event. That would actually be the first day of Slichas, right? Am I right about that? If you're an Ashkenaz. Oh, if you're an Ashkenaz, <laughs> you're right. Uh, our Sephardi brethren will have been saying Slichas for a long time before that. Well, as they always ask on a regular basis at City Field, Maish, What's with the lineup? Who's going to be in the lineup for September the 22nd? Well, it's, it's an incredible lineup, as, as we always have. Um, we have people from, from Israel, from across America. Uh, David Foreman is coming back a second time. Rabbi Neuberger, uh, Yaakov Neuberger from Teaneck and Yeshiva University. Uh, Rabbi Shaw Robinson from um, Lincoln Square Synagogue is going to be speaking. We also have uh, Shani Tarragon from Israel uh, coming. We have uh, C.B. Neuberschel, uh, who is a, the principal of Central High School. She's coming. And once again, Mrs. Sivan Rahav Meir, who's going to be in America for a year, is going to be featured as well. So, Baruch Hashem, we have an incredible spectrum. I'm only listing a number of the people. There'll be over 20, between 20 and 25 speakers. And the topics are all over the place, as they always are, including Navi and Halacha. But this year, there's going to be a particular focus on the Yom Naram, on the high holidays, with issues ranging from very complicated teshuva repentance related issues to the Matzer, to give people a, a foundation to daven, to pray on Rosh Hashanah and Kippur with greater understanding and meeting. So it's a, it's a, a fantastic opportunity to, to prepare yourself for Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. Do people choose specific tracks that they're going to be on or specific sessions that they want to attend and lectures they want to attend that day or every lectures for everybody? Well, there, there are obviously different tastes and different uh, types of speakers that people tend to gravitate towards. We have uh, professors coming from Bar-Ilan and Hebrew University who are scholars, Torah scholars, and we have um, Rosh Hashivas as well as uh, all kinds of lecturers. So people will gravitate towards the kind of Torah that they're interested in, the kind of topics that they're interested in. Of course, there might be people who only want to hear about Rosh Hashem Kippur. There may be people who only want to hear about Halacha. But in the past, we found that people go from different topic to different topic depending on the speaker and the particular topic. Unbelievable. I saw that you uh, opened up a kids program. You're actually encouraging people to bring the entire family that day? 
Well, I, I think we are. We, we, in the past, we've had gotten many, many complaints, particularly from young parents, who said they wanted to attend, but they really didn't have a, it's a Sunday, and the middle of the year, and, and people have children. So rather than creating a simple babysitting-type program, which would not really be in the spirit of the day, we're having a, for, for in the middle of the day, a four-hour period in which there's going to be Torah programming for young children between the ages of 5 and 12. That's not just a storytelling uh, event, but rather going through different for example, we're going to have a shofar, a factory workshop, to show children how a shofar is made. We're going to be dealing with a number of the halachas of Shabbos that will show them hands-on how they were dealt with in the Beis HaMikdash, why they are malachas on Shabbos, to allow children to see on a hands-on, a hands-on basis at their stage in life what Torah is and the complexity and the beauty of what they have in store for them as they grow up. Very cool. And I know that you put a family rate on that as well, so people will not be charged uh, anything more than the specific family rate no matter how many they bring, so the entire family can take advantage of that. Information about all this, folks, go to ou.org slash Torah and why, and that's ou.org slash Torah and why, and I remind you that now for the next week, there is an early bird special. If you register now, you could use the code earlybirdtny19 at checkout. Again, that's earlybirdtny19 at checkout, and you'll be eligible for that early bird special, all the information is there on the uh, website. You have a couple of really interesting topics, and I know I know there are going to be many that day, but one of them uh, that's in the release I saw, how AI will impact Shabbat observance. And I always wondered if, in fact, our, our you know, rabbis and halachic decisors, you know, when they're going to start tackling these types of issues, and obviously they have already started, but some of these are going to get very, very complicated as uh, technology advances further and further, and I'm sure that's going to be a very, very popular subject. Well, absolutely, and and we're having once again one of the truly great uh, rabbinic giants of our generation, Rabbi Yosef Tzvi Ramon from Israel, is going to be giving that that shear. He has put together a, a kollel in Jerusalem that is focused exactly on these types of topics. That is focused on the issues of technology and the projections of future technology and how they will interplay with halacha. And you know the the capacity that we now have as an Orthodox community, the confluence of high level technological um, scholarship that we have, as well as the halakhic analysis, putting that together, not just reaching out to outside of our world, but internally within our world, gives us an opportunity to be ahead of the curve on these kinds of issues, and I'm incredibly looking forward to that year. It's going to be amazing. He is amazing. Uh, leading rabbinic scholars, educators, and Jewish communal leaders will be featured at the OU's third annual Torah New York, Sunday, September 22nd at City Field. Mike Bain is with us. By the way, if we're encouraging families to come, rightfully so, we should also mention, Maish, that uh, this program, p- people who are not that familiar with Torah study or feel they don't spend enough time in the arena of Torah study, we, we should encourage them to come as well because beginners and people, again, who are not you know, often able to, whatever the circumstance may be, uh, attend these types of lectures, they will appreciate what, what's there to offer, what's being offered on the 22nd of September. Oh, absolutely. And, and one of the uh, objectives we have, and it's not true of all of our speakers, but the vast majority of them are individuals who have vast Torah libraries online. And therefore, when someone comes and finds a, a speaker that they find particularly speaks to them and, and gives them an approach to Torah that is appropriate for them, they're able to follow up with that speaker with sometimes up to hundreds and hundreds of classes online that they could be listening to on a whole variety of, of, of topics. Uh, Rabbi Lopiansky from Silver Spring is going to be a keynote speaker. He has a 
an incredible library of Torah content. Uh, Rabbi Feiner from uh, with the White Shalom for Aqua is going to be giving a shear. Similarly, Rabbi J.J. Schechter from Yeshiva University. These individuals have vast Torah libraries that this could just be the springboard for people with lesser backgrounds or lesser familiarity could start delving into Torah scholarship. Yeah, incredible libraries and incredible followings. All right, everybody, so, uh, circle the date. Sunday, September the 2nd, indoors at City Field. It's the OU presentation called Torah New York. They are expecting over 2,500 people to be there that day. It has proven to be a very effective and really incredible event. And uh, information, you go to OU.org slash Torah and Y, OU.org slash Torah and Y, and use the early bird discount because you'll get that special until August the 8th, and the discount is Early Bird TNY19. Again, that's Early Bird TNY19. Use that at checkout when you register today. Mike Spain, another incredible uh, project of the OU. Thanks for sharing all this information. We'll continue to remind everybody until the 22nd of September. Thanks so much. And have a easy of and fast on Tisha Amen. Oh, Amen. Thank you. The same to you. There he is, Mike Spain, president of the OU. September the 22nd. It's going to be a big one. Um, the. The personalities, if you see the entire list, I mean, Meish went through some incredible names, but if you see the entire list of who's there at City Field September 22nd, it's it's almost hard to believe that they are able to put together that type of lineup. <laughs> and as I said, the lineup's always a concern at City Field, <laughs> but September 22nd, it's going to be a very potent lineup, <laughs> to say the least. More coming up. You are listening to a Thursday morning edition of JM in the AM. <laughs> Shalom, 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 Shalom,
pick up the leaves and the magic is lost Cause you had a bad day, you take it one down You sing a sad song just to turn it around You say you don't know, you tell me don't lie You work out a smile and you go for a ride You had a bad day, you see what you like And how does it feel for one more time You had a bad day You had a bad day J.M. in the A.M. with the Maccabees. Three weeks format Thursday called Bad Day. Before that, Osish Shalom. Thursday morning on this era of Rosh Chodesh. It is America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NachumSingle.com on the NachumSingle Network and, of course, in the beloved NSN app. Uh, the Bays Din of America, widely regarded as one of the leading Jewish religious courts in North America, has launched a first-in-the-nation blog dedicated to explaining rabbinical court process and decisions. Jewish prudence will focus on providing information to attorneys and legal professionals regarding Jewish law and Beth Din jurisprudence. With us live via telephone, the director of the Beth Din of America, Rabbi Shlomo Weissman. Rabbi Weissman, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thanks very much, Nachum. Good to be back. A pleasure to speak with you. So this is an effort to accomplish what? Why publish a blog called Jewish Prudence. We're really aiming to do two things. First of all is to continue our ongoing project of educating the community about Beit Din Jewish Prudence, how cases, how disputes can be resolved in Beit Din through mediation, through arbitration, through the Torah process, to shed some light on that process and make the process more inviting to people. And the second objective really is to start a broad discussion about Jewish law as it affects the commercial marketplace, um, ethical issues that arise in Jewish law, um, all sorts of Hoshan Mishpat kinds of issues that, uh, that, that, that are important for the community to be, to be talking about and learning about. All right, so the, the, the thinking, of course, is that the more people understand how the Beth Din works, uh, the, more, um, the, the more faith they put in it, maybe put it that way, would that be a good way of saying it? I think that's right. I think we, we have an excellent product to offer, an important product to offer uh, in, the, in the realm of dispute resolution. Uh, it's, utilized, uh, it's utilized to a great degree, but I think there are more people out there that could be utilizing it that just don't know enough about it. And if we educate people about what we do, the professionalism that we bring to the table, I think that will uh, open the doors to, to more people utilizing our services. And I remind everybody out there, I, I think I'm right, that it's not just business <coughs> excuse me, business issues that the Beth Din is tackling. It's familial issues and personal stuff as well, correct? Yeah, that's right. We, I think we, we run the gamut. You know, we, we, we deal with commercial disputes, landlord-tenant disputes, employment issues, breach of contract issues, uh, partnership disputes, uh, but also family disputes in the, in, in the area of matrimonial issues, uh, inheritance issues, uh, and also communal disputes, school governance issues that arise. Um, we really run the gamut in terms of the kinds of disputes that people uh, have from time to time within within the Jewish community. Are these articles and blog posts going to be done by a variety of people or one person? They're going to be done by a variety of people. We have a real excellent and deep bench of talent at the Beth Din of America, uh, from Rabbi Mordechai Willig to Rabbi Yonah Reese, um, many other of our Dayanim. Uh, the editor of the, of the blog is Rabbi Itamar Rosenzweig, 
who uh, really brings to the table the perfect mixture of talents that, uh, that I think we're looking for and that what's, good, what's going to make this blog so successful. And that is that he has a deep understanding of halach, of Jewish law. He's also a crisp uh, writer, which is important for something like this. And he uh, has a good understanding of secular law and marketplace issues as well, which is critical to, to running a Besden, critical to dealing in a, in a professional and, and, uh, and, and uh, sophisticated way with sometimes very sophisticated issues that come up in Besden. And I'd have to assume that uh, some of the blog posts will concentrate on actual cases, obviously in a discreet manner, leaving names out, but on the actual cases that have come before you, right? Yeah, I think that, that's the, I think the most exciting part of this blog, is that we're going to be actually publishing, and we've already done so. If you look on, uh, on the blog already, uh, we've already published one case, and we're going to roll out a whole bunch more, uh, actual decisions that have been issued by the Bethden of America. Confidentiality is always an issue that we have to deal with because we offer confidentiality to the people who come to us. Um, but the way we've, we've dealt with that is by anonymizing decisions, uh, changing names, and then getting the permission of the parties to publish them. Ah, interesting. Because I was, <laughs> was going to say to you, you know, there'll be people out there reading it and going, oh, this, this sounds very familiar to something that I, I know happened in our neighborhood. But the truth is, if you have permission from both parties, then that takes care of that. Yeah, exactly. Our, our community is too small to, right. to, uh, <laughs> to assume that if you change a few names, uh, no one will know what's going on. <laughs> exactly. Uh, by the way, you can access uh, Jewish Prudence by going to bethdin.org, literally B-E-T-H-D-I-N, bethdin.org slash Jewish Prudence. Great name, by the way. I'm sure you've been told that before. Uh, Thanks, yeah. <laughs> bethdin.org slash Jewish Prudence. And you can get information about uh, the blog and uh, see exactly what they're writing about. Uh, the director of uh, Beth Din of America, Rabbi Shlomo Weissman, is with us. Has it been a busy time? Is it a? Uh, it, does it work that way? That certain months will be very active and others will be quiet in your line of work. People ask me that all the time. I, I think the answer is that it's pretty steady throughout the year. We're consistently busy. Um, I guess there's no uh, better or worse time to have a dispute with, with someone and try to get it resolved, and so we're pretty busy throughout the year. Well, I would think with the new year starting soon and the air of uh, forgiveness and repentance being in the atmosphere, I would think that that might lead to more uh, reconciliations as opposed to coming to the Beth Thin. I guess I'm wrong about that, huh? Uh, no, maybe that's right. And the, the truth is that the, the Besden might be a good place to reconcile and not only to right. fight. That's I mean, true. We, uh, we try to bring shalom to the world. Uh, we don't only uh, resolve things through arbitration, through denator, but we right. do mediation, which can be a very conciliatory process and a, a good, healthy way of, 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 of maintaining relationships uh, despite yeah. a, a dispute that might have cropped up. Me- meaning that many, many times you said, I- I'm proud to announce a settlement. Thank God everyone spoke, and, you know, and we were there to to help along the process, and the parties have settled, basically, right? Yeah, that's right. That's a, that's a big part of what we do. Yeah, and that must be a good feeling when that happens, as opposed to the way things can become very contentious, obviously, uh, in, right. in, a, in a, an arbitration uh, atmosphere. All right, Jewish prudence, everybody. It focuses on providing information to attorneys and legal professionals, but really everybody out there is encouraged to look at it. You'll find it very interesting. The Bayesian of America has their first in the nation blog, dedicated to explaining rabbinical court process and decisions. Again, go to bethdin.org slash jewishprudence, bethdin.org slash jewishprudence. All right, Weissman, anything you'd like to add? 
Um, I really just encourage people to look at it, and if you kind of look at it over time, we're hoping to roll out a lot of interesting posts. We have a, a, a whole litany of, of topics we want to cover from, like I said, that, the ethical issues that arise sometimes in negotiation and in uh, deciding cases, the cases that we're going to be publishing, people I think are going to find that fascinating to get a behind-the-scenes look of what we do uh, in the form of actual decisions we've issued, um, and also really just getting back to the basics, educating the community about the basics of Besden adjudication, what a Hasmana process looks like, right. what the actual process, the nuts and bolts of a case that we, that we hear and the issues that come up from a halachic issue, from a halachic perspective, from a secular legal perspective, which is a big element of, of what we bring to the table. Uh, so I think it's going to really be an opportunity to, for people to, to bone up on the basic issues and the basic uh, things that come up in a the contemporary rabbinical court. I'm glad we have these conversations. I think it lends uh, even more seriousness among people in the community to what the Besden does, and I think that's only a good thing. So thank you very much. Uh, Rabbi Weissman, thank you, and uh, and good luck with Jewish prudence. And thanks very thank much for very joining much. us this I morning. Appreciate. I appreciate it. A pleasure. Thursday morning broadcast. More coming up. Rabbi David Bashevkin is standing by right here at JM in the AM. <laughs>
JM and the AM. It's the Yeshiva Boys here on a uh, JM and the AM three weeks format. Thursday tonight, we move into the nine days format. How do you like that? Nine days begin tonight. And um, a reminder that a week from Sunday, we'll be presenting the um, Tisha B'Av program from the New Springville Jewish Center on Staten Island. We have a great list of presenters who are going to be, uh, well, we'll start with Shachris at 825. So those of you who want to dive in there, it's 825 Shachris. At 915, it all begins. Five different presenters explaining Kinnis. And then two presentations, including Rabbi Learfield of the Young Israel of Staten Island on uh, Tisha B'Av itself. And that will all end with uh, 2 o'clock Mincha. So you have an opportunity after a JM Sunday with uh, Matis on Tisha B'Av, an opportunity to spend 9 a.m., until 2 p.m. with us at NahumSiegel.com and on the NahumSiegel Network in a presentation that was extremely successful last year and one that I think will be very inspiring again for everybody this year uh, coming to you from the new Springville Jewish Center on Staten Island. Rabbi David Bashevkin is in our studio. This has been a um, widely publicized and much talked about appearance for him here at JM in the AM. He has many titles, many, many titles. In fact, a rarity for me, instead of uh, uh, using his, um, his uh, titles that we could find on the web and introducing him, I will introduce him and then ask him to go through his titles with us here at JM and the AM. Rabbi David Bashevkin, welcome back Great to, to JM and the AM. Thank you so much for having you me. You have many distinguished monikers. You have many ways that you are referred to and introduced, in the, in, introduced by in the Jewish world. Do you have any preference for how we should introduce you to this audience this my, morning. My preferred professional uh, pronouns are up to whoever I am, uh, whoever's introducing me. Uh, first and foremost, I'm the Director of Education for NCSY. And doing quite a job at that. How long have you held that position? Um, closing in on 10 years. Wow. And I am an instructor at Yeshiva University. I teach in Sci Sims and in IBC. And I am a columnist for Mishpacha magazine. Right, with a uh, with a an interesting take on many things Jewish, on a regular basis. What is that? Every other week? Every third week? What is yeah, that? sometimes it's every week. In the summer, we've been moving to every uh, every other week. Right. Does it? Does it? I don't know. Does it bother you or trouble you that when that when you're introduced or when you're you know when we're starting a conversation, I find it to be I don't know either. Either have some type of levity aspect to it, or some type of humorous aspect to it. There's some for some reason. This does not. I just want you to know this doesn't happen with most of my guests. But when you're here, there's a certain energy. A, I don't want to say comical energy, but a certain. I don't know. Just uh, there's like you just. It's sort of one of those. You just don't know what's going to happen. Like you're anticipating something <laughs> really good. And, and, and funny that might emerge from this conversation. That, that is uh, giving me a lot of anxiety. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, I, I look at humor writing as the greatest badge of honor and the greatest opportunity of all of the things that I do. I think the thing that is the most difficult, the most challenging, and the most exciting uh, is making people smile. Interesting. And some I, I was told by my staff that there are people now trying to imitate Rabbi David Bashevkin, and that yesterday on Twitter there was something. There was someone who actually went ahead and you know and and published on Twitter what they felt was a 
you know, a good line in reference to something to do with the Jewish community and actually tagged you in her, however it works on Twitter, in order to get your approval to see if, to see if in fact, that person is following properly in your footsteps or not. Are you aware of this or not? Yeah, we, we've developed a very sweet community on, uh, on Twitter, uh, hashtag from Twitter. Uh, I tweet under the name Dbash Ideas. And I'm I'm a big believer in that community because it's a very niche community, but it's a place where uh, Hasidim and Hever from Lakewood and Yeshiva University and uh, Woodmere, five towns, are able to uh, smile and wink at some of the oddities and uh, just peculiarities of our community in a very sweet and playful way. Uh, but humor gives people a, a really wonderful lens to to be optimistic and playful without descending into cynicism. But when there's a photo, for instance, and the, not descending into cynicism, that may be you, – you may be overreaching I'm on working that right, I'm walking right on that line. <laughs> you can say that again. I have a balancing beam. <laughs> so, when I, there, uh, so, for instance, when there is a picture of uh, Jared and Ivanka, right, and, and, and you, you see a photo and they have a certain type of expression, you use that opportunity – to go ahead and comment about Shidduchim in the Jewish community, right? Yeah, I think with that photo, uh, if it serves me correctly, I think I captioned it something like uh, Five Towns Machatanim <laughs> meeting their West Hempstead Machatanim for the first time. <laughs> Now, uh, now, only a certain group or number of people will be able to understand that reference. Yeah, but th- but that's the beauty of humor. Humor is an insider's game. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're able to you're able to create niche communities by kind of carving out who gets the joke, who's in and who's out. That's in any who you know who could change a light bulb. I have a, a friend, S. Ross, who uh, wrote a brilliant article about the comedy's role in shaping communities and. The reason why comedy works is because it has an insider community of who gets the inner contours of the joke and the social situation that you're commenting on. And that's why I love connecting to people this way because you're really building communities. So the, the less people who get it, the happier you are. Uh, in, in, in a way, I mean, there's something universal about uh, about humor, but you know, if you get a community that kind of is able to really chuckle and smile at something, aside from bringing people joy, you've created this kind of insider world that people are able to enjoy some of the silliness of their own uh, culture and community. Got it. Rabbi David Bashevkin is here. All right. Um, Lot, lots of stuff to cover. I'm already thinking what's gonna what, what will be our topics the next time you're here, so you can imagine Uh-oh. that I see this as a series of conversations. How is the book doing? You wrote a book that you featured here with us in an interview. In fact, the title of the book featured the word synagogue spelled in a completely different way, with the, with the first syllable being S-I-N. How is the book doing out there? in the uh, global Jewish market. Really, really excellent. Uh, people have responded really well to it. I'm communicating to a lot of, uh, uh, of readers who have been picking it up. Um, it, just, it, it just had a renewed interest because of the passing of uh, Rav Nussan Kamenetsky Zatzal, who was the writer of Making of a Gadol, uh, and his book got into a little bit of trouble for the way that it depicted some Jewish leaders. 
and the opening to my book discusses uh, some of the stories we tell about Jewish leaders, and it's kind of renewed some interest recently in the book. I expect that more people will be picking it up as we get closer to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, uh, but that that renewed interest in making of a gadol has had people kind of looking up and saying, how do we look at the faults of our leaders and Rabbanim? Speaking of walking the line, do you have a... I don't know if I can call it a definitive opinion, but do you have a guideline that you could share with us, like a summary or guideline about how to react or how to discuss the faults of our Torah leaders? Is there a rule of thumb? The analogy that I have given before is uh, I think that discussing the faults of our leaders is the same way that you educate children about the faults of their own parents. Uh, nobody sits down a seven-year-old and says, Mommy and Daddy, uh, we don't really like each other, and we're, we're, we're in the middle of a big fight, and Daddy let me down, and we're having uh, financial difficulties, and we've got a lot going on, and we're really stressed out, and you know this marriage might fall apart any second right now, so buckle in. No, nobody would tell a seven-year-old that, but as you get older, uh, you start to realize that the parents who you thought were perfect and, you know, had this idealistic, uh, everything was great about them, were actually quite human. And as you evolve, you realize that the humanity of your parents doesn't diminish their greatness. It actually makes them even more astounding of what they were able to overcome and what challenges they were able to surmount. And I think the same way with the Gedolim. When you talk about, when you talk with an eight-year-old about rabbis and Jewish leaders, I wouldn't sit them down and tell them, Every, sing, every single error and mistake that they made. But as they get older, I think that it is healthy because it, it develops, A, a sense of humanity of our leaders and teachers, and, and that only makes them greater. Uh, we don't learn Torah from angels. We learn Torah from, uh, from human beings. And I think that's, it doesn't diminish their stature. It only enhances it. But you know the trend is not that way. You know in 2019, you probably, especially with the group that you described, follows you. You probably have, you probably speak to many people who hesitate to leave the, you know, Torah giants are perfection type of, uh, of of viewpoint. I think our community has has really turned the corner on this. Uh, Even among the right wing, what absolutely. we would call the right wing, there community. is such a renewed interest in Jewish history, uh, tr- true true Jewish history, really understanding the inner contours and lives of our Gedolim. If you walk into any uh, yeshiva, you will see that the, the books of Jewish history, they might be, you know, underneath the shtender, they might be, you know, underneath the, the dorm room uh, mattress, but they are absolutely there. It reminds me of a top, on Shushan Purim, I published a top five of top five top five list that Mishpacha will not let me publish. Hmm. And one of the top five lists was top five Jewish studies books that get yeshiva guys into academic Jewish studies. And there's a whole list of them. Could you, you give me one or two? Sure. Um, I mean, certainly the writings of, uh, of Mark Shapiro. All really? The yeshiva, all the yeshiva guys read this. They, 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 they know that stuff. They're interested in it. Uh, for me, it was the PhD of Rav Hutner's daughter, Buria David Hutner, nice. uh, from Colombia. She did a PhD on the Maharat Chayas, Rav Tzihar Chayas, uh, from Colombia. And just his life, he was kind of like the first uh, proto-modern Orthodox Jew. Every yeshiva guy has a PDF and a copy of that. And then... <laughs> 
you know, it might be hidden, but it's better than some other stuff that they could be hiding. And if that's what they do in their spare time, it definitely gives them a greater appreciation of the lives of uh, of, Jew- of our Jewish leaders. Did anybody write a haskama to her PhD thesis? <laughs> no, there was not a not a typical haskama, but she, I do believe she thanks her father in there. <laughs> because, because you did publish recently uh, something, again, that I think such a large percentage of your readership in Mishpacha wouldn't get. Most people are not familiar, right? Most regular people, men and women, I don't want people to think I'm just singling out women, men and women are not really that familiar with the whole world of Haskamah's approbations for Jewish books that have been written in history, right? You yeah, agree with that? Yeah, and I, I wrote a, uh, a top five list for Mishpacha, but you're not giving Mishpacha readers uh, enough credit. One thing that I have found, and it is to their credit, is that they have built an audience that spans uh, really from coast to coast, whether it's my sister in uh, in Woodmere on her couch Friday night or, uh, you know, a yeshiva guy in Lakewood who begrudgingly picks it up, uh, you know, and he might, you know. And both coasts get Haskamas? They oh, both get it? I, I don't know that they get Haskamas, but once you introduce them to that world, you right. know, I did a top five list on the top five top types of Haskamas. Right. That you get, you know, some people get these passive-aggressive haskamas <laughs> that are critiquing the work itself. Right. Uh, but opening up that world of Jewish studies with a wink and a little bit of humor, I think, is a really helpful way to uh, Does to it bother you that I'm enjoying this at a, at a humorous level? No, it's it my greatest bother. joy. No, it's funny. You know, I go to weddings sometimes, yeah. and some people talk about my column, uh, particularly in Mishpacha, the humor column, and they'll talk about it, you know— not not just laughing, but almost a little cynically. They'll be like, oh, how's that little cute little column you're doing there? <laughs> and I always give them this challenge. I said, do me a favor. Lock yourself in a room for six months. Try to write one column that will make someone smile. I don't think you can do it. That's right. Humor is very challenging. And it's I told a- you that one of the things that one of my sons likes to do with me is try to add to your, or not just add, but come up with other subjects that would be you know appropriate for your oh, top yeah. five. I, yeah. I got a email. Uh, I think the email address, I forget, it, it was from a dorm in the mirror. It was like <laughs> Rappaport55 at gmail.com. A, a mere dorm sent me a, a list. The most successful list that I got that was published almost as is was an anonymous woman in uh, woman in Lakewood, a single girl, published a list of top five conversation topics that guys like to bring up on dates. Oh, is that hilarious? And it was just bullseye. <laughs> she was anonymous, and I tried to set her up after. <laughs> That's great. I love she it. Wouldn't, yeah. Oh, now I remember. It was Joshua Siegel who came up with um, top five top five moments during davening. Where I, I don't remember how he put it. Like you're not sure. One of them was, you know, are they going to say Tachron? You know, exactly. One of them is it going to be a Hechikedusha at Mincha? Exactly. You know, like, Hechikedusha at Mincha. Like, like, please start. Please start. Dear you know? God. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I was once davening for the Amud at Mincha, and I forgot that we were supposed to make a Hechikedusha, and, and everybody was, you know, they saw I started to bow. They go, no, no, no. Like that collective groan when you're at a, a baseball game or something and catch that mincha and they right. go for the full chazanas. You don't make friends that way. That's for sure. Rabbi David Bashevkin is here. All right. I am I'm, I'm a prisoner of the calendar. This is a general statement. I am a prisoner of the calendar. I can't have you here today and discuss certain topics that I'm dying to discuss with you without doing the calendaric stuff, because you're here today, and that's why that's why you have to come back another time so we can finish everything else. Now, today is Era of the Nine Days, right? So I ask you, do you have any specific 
analysis about the day before the nine days. Because I, as both a kid as an adult, have witnessed over the years how today is the day that everyone panics and they will not be able to eat meat after a specific specific time. Reminiscent, reminiscent, I've been told, in the five towns how often uh, on the early morning of a fast day, especially during the winter when the fast starts late, where everybody is at Dunkin' Donuts very, very early. (laughs) If you don't have that large coffee, if you don't have that large coffee before the fast, God knows what may happen. Do you have certain memories of Erev and then the actual nine days? So I I am a little bit of a uh, a nine days uh, cynic when it comes to our obsession with uh, with flashigs. I actually was supposed to get a flashig lunch today that I had to cancel. Whoops! I had to cancel last minute. What a mistake! Yeah, what a mistake. But I one of the things that I commented on once is that how you know a lot of the a lot of dairy restaurants start issuing their special nine days menu and right. i write about this in our in the actual this week's mishpacha magazine Ooh. column uh my top five is top five morning practices that we might need to shelve and one of them is i i i i never could stand the using the nine days as an advertising <laughs> ploy for your special dairy menu it's like nothing, I want yeah. nothing special. About exactly, that. I want to break the news. Be like it, your your menu was always nine days friendly, and it was never that special. And in addition to that, it's it's you know the, the irony of you know Jewish history. The nine days are not a special time. The nine days are a very serious and you know difficult, or at least they're supposed to be observed as a you know difficult. I mean, people tell me stories that they were in summer camp and you know, had to throw all their clothing on the floor over the nine days just so they could wear it actually during the nine days yeah. and things like you know, and different things like that. You know, yeah. There's a sweetness to how uh, how the nine days is observed in 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 sleepaway camp. I think you don't feel it because when you are an adult, you no longer have the concept of instructional swim. Right. For me, the number one way. In which morning was observed was just instructional swim. Like I think it might be worth like which was real torture. Exactly. When the three weeks start, people should start swimming twice a day, and then on the nine days, just have instructional swim, and then you'll feel it. Exactly. Then you'll really feel it. Rabbi David Bashevkin is here. So, with all this in mind about the nine days, there are serious elements. I mean, you are the director of education for NCSY. You will be in shul a week from Sunday and likely be sitting through a three- to four-hour Shachris and Kinnis service, correct? Yes. Would you, would you recommend that for the youth in, uh, Jewish youth in 2019? Would you recommend that summer camps, programs, whatever the case may be, utilize that type of presentation on their Tisha B'Av day, or is there a better way, even though, God forbid, some of the you know men over thirteen and women over twelve will not be saying all of Kinnis. Is it possible there's a better way for them to spend the morning of Tisha B'av? It's it's a great question. I am a big believer in the way that our camps have created Tisha B'av, and I think if most people were honest with themselves, uh, most people's most inspiring and powerful Tisha B'av experiences were probably in camp. 
uh, it, you know, it may have been, you know, not with the maturity of adulthood. And, you know, they came into Eicha carrying some, you know, inflatable couch uh, <laughs> that they set up as if they were sitting by the beach. But at the same time, camps have done an amazing job of bringing the Tisha B'Av experience alive. And the reason why that's so uh, is because of a general shift in the way not just education, but all content works in the age of the internet, which is that we have seen a remarkable shift uh, from content to experiences. Uh, uh, the place where you see this most is in the music industry. It used to be that musicians would release uh, would release an album and then go on tour to promote their album and promote the content of their album. And the model has actually shifted. Nobody makes money off of an album anymore. You certainly don't make money off publishing a book. Mm -hmm. The place where you really make the money and what people want is the concert tour. So you almost produce the album in order to promote the tour. Right. It switched to vice versa. And right. and what that's Well, is it publish or perish, right? Correct, right. correctly. But 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 what that's showing you is that there is a shift. The main event is no longer the text or the music album. The main event is the experience, is the concert. And I think what camps do through experiential education by creating these indelible moments um, is really investing in experiences themselves, not on more maramokomos and more, more source sheets and more of this stuff, but creating these experiential moments that will last with you for the rest of your life. Did you have to address this? Tisha B'Av with NCSY, did you ever, is like, is that, was that one of the things you had to do in terms of trying to develop a curriculum, or as you said, an experiential curriculum uh, that people could use both in the Israel programs and in other areas? So I, I don't even like the word curriculum. I think curriculum is the kryptonite of a great experiential moment. I think an experiential moment is not tethered to a specific uh, text ne necessarily, but that's certainly something we think about in NCSY. We actually released this year a special Kinos guide called Erasure for teens, uh, something for them to hold and look at as they go through the Kinos experience. You know, it, it's I've lamented this in the past when you walk into nearly any Svarim store and you ask, uh, you know, where could I find uh, something for little children? Oh, that's in the back. Where can I find your Sifrei Halacha, your Jewish law books? Oh, that's to the right. Where can I find a bar mitzvah gift? Oh, that's to the, you know, all the way in the back. Uh, where could I find machshava, Jewish thought? That's over there. Where could I find something for a teenager? And, and you will, by and large, get shrugs. We don't really have a teen section in any Jewish bookstore. We don't have people who are publishing and creating content specifically for teens. And I look at the work of NCSY is, so to speak, it is that aisle missing in every bookstore is NCSY. We are creating experiences, context, uh, content, and moments for the Jewish teenager that has for far, far too long been neglected um, by the Jewish community. There are thousands of, of students, as you know, of all types, half of them from public school in Israel right now with NCSY. Right? We saw them there mm -hmm. two weeks ago. You know about it. Are, are you ever concerned that the public school youngster who's being introduced to Judaism you know, through this program, essentially, right? They never had full-time Judaism until they went to TJJ, right? Are, do you worry that they are going to leave this period of time saying, you know, Judaism is so filled with sadness and mourning and, and negativity and 
we're so downtrodden. And, and, and in addition to that, you know, we were encouraged not to eat certain days. And in addition to that, I couldn't have a hamburger certain nights, et cetera, et cetera. So does any of that. Not even for us for a millisecond. Really? And, and no, because the magic of the NCSY experience for public school teens uh, is the fact that while we are led by Rabbanim, Rabbi Sabolovsky is the POSIC for NCSY, the people who are interacting with the teenagers are college students by and large. They're advisors. They're not rabbis. And that helps the experience. And that's why I've heard this from Rav Yaakov Bender, uh, the Manal of Dar Torah, many times, which is why people who decide to commit themselves to an observant life through NCSY are some of the most normal people who transition into the Jewish community. They don't take these, you know, larger-than-life leaps and abandon their family and all this, all this stuff. They integrate in a very normal and healthy way. And one of the reasons why that's so, aside from the fact that we're dealing primarily with teenagers, which is a very healthy time to kind of make changes in your religious identity. But but the other reason why is because the people who they're building relationships with are college students. It's not a, an older rabbi at a totally different stage of their life. It's by and large people who are at the same stage of life as they are. Uh, they might not be as knowledgeable as a Rav, and that's fine. So they come out of the experience with a very healthy relationship, a very normal relationship with Yiddishkeit. Rabbi David Bashevkin is here. Um, we're obviously starting the nine days. <laughs> That's what we keep emphasizing on this era of Rosh Chodesh. We're then going to get to Elul, Tishrei, etc. Is it easier for an emotionally... Let me put it this way. Is it easier for... for let's assume for a moment that there are two general categories of young people. All right, let's assume this. I know there's really 50, 60 categories, but let's assume this too. One... The, the kid who's really cerebral, you know, the one who's very, you know, takes education seriously and, you know, and, and would laugh at a horror movie, you know, really doesn't get excited about, you know, about much. And on the other end, of course, very emotional kids, etc. Does the, does the more emotional kid have a much easier time um, with, with the whole concept of faith-based Judaism, meaning if... If you have two kids and one of them is really turned on by the songs at the Kotel on Tishabov afternoon and you know and and does it help it, it, does that kid have a much easier time maintaining faith in the one above than the more you know I've got to I've got to read more about this and figure it out and it doesn't make sense that God really exists like the, that type of thing That's a that's an excellent and great question I certainly think that at different ages, it is easier to address some of the emotional, um, maybe less rational components of Yiddishkeit uh, for for a child who's not as inclined for uh, you know more cerebral stuff. As you get older, uh, unfortunately, I think everybody gets a little bit more cerebral, and we lose touch with our kind of uh, emotional disposition. And I think that's that's unfortunate for. Everybody, but I think we have a very rich legacy of I don't want to call it cerebral, but very sub substantial thinkers who are re expressing and reintroducing the majesty of Yiddishkeit just in a, in a new dress. I think that, you know, if the 1960s and 70s were the golden age of modern Orthodox thought and being able to express the depth and the rationalism and the beauty of modern Orthodox thinking to the public, I think we're in a renaissance 
of people expressing mysticism and Hasidus uh, with a very intellectual and substantial language that would actually resonate with a lot of the cerebral audience. So now is the best is a, is as good a time as any to be a cerebral Jew because you now have access to lines of thought in the Jewish world that otherwise would never have been expressed in more intellectual or academic language. There was something I saw online relating you to Rav Tzadok. That was because... My of, master's of, thesis was, I, I always say, I, I got a master's in Reb Tzadok, and when people ask me why, I say, I did it for the money. <laughs> uh, no, did my, that work out? <laughs> yeah, it did not work. Don't, don't, don't go into Reb Tzadok for the money. Um, I, my master's thesis was comparing Reb Tzadok HaKodmi Lublin with uh, Rebbe Nachami Breslov, and my master's advisor, who was Nifter last summer, we're coming up on his first yard site, was Rev Yaakov Elman, who studied briefly under Rav Hutner and was a professor in Yeshiva University for many years. He's the first person who brought the writings of Reb Tzadok, who was, I would almost describe as a postmodern Hasidic thinker. He died well, that's, in that's 1900. Why I, that's yeah. why I brought it up, because most view him as what we would call a Litvisharov, who drifted into Hasidus. Would that be an, an appropriate way of saying it? Yeah, but but people are using his writing in the most fascinating ways you could ever imagine. Uh, I I was just in Israel, and I sat with a uh, professor in Bar-Ilan named uh, Dr. Joshua Berman, who does uh, studies in, in Bible studies and discusses biblical criticism. He uses Reb Tzadok's writing a great deal in his academic articles explaining uh, how to approach the text of the Torah. It's just his, Rav Tzadok was very in tune with a lot of very modern problems, and he was able to wed the world of mysticism and the world of kind of more intellectual lundus and his Lithuanian upbringing to really come up with fascinating solutions to a lot of very perplexing problems. But why did that become important to him? In other words, if we have grown up with the... With the um uh, the attitude or the uh, you know the supposition that most great Lithuanian rabbis, I don't want to say scoffed, but but were indifferent to Hasidus. Why did it become so important to him? It it came so important to him. He he ne- he doesn't write very much uh, autobiography, but he does have a collection of dreams where he he kind of he wrote down his own dreams at the same time as Freud um, and. Uh, he, he wrote down the dreams, and he discusses a little bit about what he felt was the root of his soul. Uh, if I could speculate, having gone through and read his writings, uh, I think he was drawn to Hasidus because, quite frankly, his, his personal life fell apart, and he realized that rationalism and a very sequential approach to life will only take you so far and that life can break you enough that you kind of have to reach beyond some of the more sequential and rationalistic steps. Again, his marriage fell apart. He was wandering alone throughout Europe trying to piece together his life. Um, that weighed on him a great deal, and it was during that journey by himself throughout Europe that he decided that some of the scholar, and he was already a massive scholar at that point, not because we heard that in Bubba Mises and stories. We have his writings from that period. He was a genius of geniuses. We have his bar mitzvah drusha. We have things that he wrote as a teenager. Um, and he realized that his life became unmanageable and he needed somebody else and a, a greater sense for the mysticism and the veil uh, behind experiential life 
uh, to help guide him to the next stage. And that's what he did. And, and it's not to say that his life got, got any easier, right. but I think that Hasidic thought made it more manageable. And one could argue that his colleagues, again, using the term literature rabbis, whatever, simply didn't need that. Like it was just, wasn't something that they, that became necessary in their lives. They didn't, may, maybe their life experiences showed them that they, you know, dealt with things differently. Yeah, they dealt with things differently. I think that his life experiences forced him in a direction. And Rabbi talks constantly about how your life experiences inform your Torah. Right. He was a big believer in that. So is he a Baal Musser? How do we, how do we view him in, in, the, in, in terms of the annals of Jewish scholarship? Uh, no, I would not call him a Baal Musser. Rabbi was a, uh, a postmodern chassid in, in the sense that he, at his core, was a mystic and Hasidic thinker, but he he allowed Hasidic thinking to address um, problems that w- otherwise other Hasidic thinkers weren't discussing in the context of mysticism. You know, was, and what's the premise of a comparison to Rav Nachman? Like, what's the oh, that's like a why? great question. Re- Rebbe not for for two reasons. A. Reb Tzadok wrote a commentary on Rebbe Nachman's works. He never quotes Rebbe Nachman, but he was deeply, deeply influenced by Rebbe Nachman. He lifts words line for line from Rebbe Nachman's svarim that he includes in his own. Uh, Rebbe Nachman was probably uh, one of the first to really talk about the absurdity of life, how difficult it can be, and how to allow Torah to inform the deepest, darkest components of life, to allow Torah to reach those crevices, and to allow your personal biography and your intellectual scholarship to be wedded with one another. Rabbi Nachman was the first to do this, and Rabbi Nachman and Rabbi Tzadok went on parallel tracks in a lot of ways and issues that they addressed, though they diverged in some very important ways, too. Do, Do serious uh, Breast of Hasidim, are they familiar with the work of Ratzadak? Certainly serious ones, but but probably not as much as the writings of, of Rabbi Nachman. Interesting. And of course, you know, the, the whole Breast of movement has so many different reactions and opinions out there, you know, in yeah, terms of. Yeah, m- most of the Breast of Hasidim that you see, you know, maybe like dancing on a truck, I don't know <laughs> if. I don't know if those are like the scholars of the Breslov movement, but they're certainly a product of, of Breslov thought, of what they're trying to reach and, and create. What do you think of uh, 20,000 people being in Uman for Rosh Hashanah? I think there's something very sweet about it. I It's one of my regrets that I have never been there. Really? Yeah. Yes, I have never been there, but I, I wow. believe... It sounds wild and, you know, me wearing a sports jacket <laughs> and jeans and, you know, not clean shaven because it's three weeks... <laughs> But I, I believe in the message and the story and the power that Rebbe Nachman was trying to share with the Jewish world. What would that be? What would that message be? That the fact that you should never give up hope isn't a choice. It is a fact of life. That so long as you are alive, there is still hope inside you. Similar to Shara Bitachon and things like that. Put, 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 put almost more existential. That Almost more... Uh, uh, I'm going to use a word that is not going to get me invited back. Almost more ontological. <laughs> hope and existence are wedded together. If you are alive, there is still hope inside But, but am I right, though, that hope and existence really do need to be put in God's hands, though? The whole Shabbat Tachon thing? Or, or yeah. You, so there is some crossover There's there. some crossover there. <laughs> it, it wouldn't make the top five. Yeah, but, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put that in the top five. But, but sure. Um. What, what I mean, look, only a few minutes left, of course, and a whole list of stuff I want to discuss with you, but hopefully you'll be back. Uh, it's almost Tishabov. What is your and and you've described or 
based on this conversation, one can surmise, I don't want to say you describe, one can surmise that you have a great appreciation for really the whole gamut of what's of what is today's uh, observant Judaism, right? Um, there's no question you have an appreciation for what some people call the right wing. There's no question you have a soft spot in your heart for those who are simply, you know, Shomer Shabbos Jews who in other otherwise act in a very modern way in a modern society. And certainly, as you did say, you have a great appreciation for modern orthodoxy and its message and you know sure. and, and its mission. With that in mind, how do you view this period of mourning that culminates with Tisha B'Av? Literally, every, all of Klal Yisrael sitting Shiva, right? That's what Tisha B'Av is. You're literally, you know, you have the Minhagim of Shiva, essentially. And at the same time, yet over the last 70 plus years, we have this renaissance of a Jewish presence in Israel, uh, a state that one can argue whether it is or is not you know the the the, the type of of um, established sovereign state that we have read about in our in our traditional readings. I don't want to you know, we'll use use a very broad a very broad aspect. What are your feelings? Is there can the two survive together nicely, or should there be more of a I don't know compromise between the two positions? What do you think? Maybe it's the anxiety talking right now, but I think anybody who, you know, struggles with the contours of life and the difficulties of life, Jewish, non-Jewish, I think life is difficult and life is challenging. And anybody who is in touch with that reality uh, does not struggle with the messaging of Tisha B'Av. Tisha B'Av is about the dissonance between a utopian world that we hope will realize, and that's, to me, deeply personal, uh, and the world that we have in front of us. And while you can, you have a lot of appreciation uh, for, the, for the state of Israel and for, the, uh, you know, for all of the political developments that have and happened. Our, and our national state. Yeah, and our national state. All, all, th- there is so much to be thankful for. But to me, mourning is very private. There's a, there, there's, there's an intimacy to mourning. I, I, when I think about Tisha B'Av, I think about the shul that I grew up in in Shari Tefillah with the lights dimmed and the maroon carpet. It's not a, you know, we did get together as a community, but the fact that we were sitting on the floor kind of highlighted the fact that not, we're all kind of alone in this, and you know, there's this great line that I actually closed my book with uh, from the psychologist named Irving Yalom, where he says, "Even though everyone is alone in their boat, it's comforting to see the lights inside the other boats bobbing nearby," and that's to me the imagery of Tisha B'Av night, where there's a loneliness to morning, and we get in touch and we allow ourselves to experience that loneliness. And then you look around to the rest of the synagogue and the rest of the shul that you're in or wherever you're listening to Eicha or Kinos and you see the lights of the other boats bobbing nearby and that you realize that this state of loneliness that is life and is the world, the one comfort that we can get from it is the fact that everybody is kind of in this loneliness together. But I might add on a national level that thank God in that same, you know, on, on that same lake or ocean, there is one major light that that you know that gives us even greater hope, and that again the you know the the state the the you know small s state that we're in nationally, whatever you want to call it. But 
Sure, you know, sure, the, the light sure. Is, I think the, that light that you describe is even greater now. Let's put it that way. Absolutely. It's, it certainly is greater, and the emotions that... But the emotions that I get in touch with on Tisha B'Av uh, will never be satiated uh, by any development short of uh, short of the final gula. You know, mm. like the the the, the diff- It's not hard for me to get in touch with that. It could be because I'm a basket case, uh, but it's not hard for me to get in touch with that stuff. <laughs> By the way, the book again that we alluded to. The official title is Synagogue. No, that's it. One word. Synagogue. Yeah. S I N. Right. Agog, Sin and Failure in Jewish Thought. All right, there you have it. Look up by David Bashevkin. Finally, you are Director of Education with NCSY. And we spoke earlier about Kinnis, uh, about the Tisha B'Av morning and the length of Kinnis, etc. How about Shul in general? Does it concern you that we are trying to attract people to to be more serious about their tradition and, 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 you know, and being in Shul three times a day um, Shabbos, Yontav, etc., can be difficult for some of them, especially in this era of instant gratification, social media, always on the phone, can't concentrate for more than five minutes in shul. Let's put it that way. Does it concern you that today younger people will have much more difficulty concentrating in shul to, compared to the way we did when we were younger? It does, but it doesn't. I, I'm going to get myself into so much trouble. Oh, good. <laughs> I, I have a complicated relationship with shul. I definitely find it uh, difficult to sit through a long shul service. Uh, the Shabbos minion that I david in, that is beloved, utterly beloved to me, uh, to is in the young Israel of uh, of Tinek. I david in the Hashkama minion at seven a.m. and uh, buckle in, ladies and gentlemen. It moves. <laughs> uh, I I have a sneaking suspicion. Good, good Balkari. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that they skip a couple aliyahs. I'm not sure how they do it. And the Balkari very often is a uh, is a Lower East Side boy. Oh, really? Sure, sure, but but I have to think now. Go ahead, yeah. I'll let you guess it, but I I I think that the as oh Yerucham Yerucham, God bless him. I have to think for a second. God bless him. He's the greatest. He's the greatest. The greatest of all time. And commentary between Elias. Absolutely, always a good liner. No, he's the greatest of all time. And now his kids are doing it too. He's he's really the goat, Balcore. But one thing I will tell you is that as uh, a younger generation may find shul more challenging. The importance and the payoff of developing a great Shabbos morning routine has never been more central to Jewish life. And I think people Mm. who are successful at the art of living develop great Shabbos routines. And my Shabbos routine, where I wake up, uh, you know, 6.30 and I get to shul and... I go to you know a fairly quick minion, and then I we have a kiddush, and then I always give a shear after the young gazelle of Tinek. and we've developed such a special chever there. The group of people there are are just the greatest, most have become most of my most beloved friends and people. And when I come home, I mean I I I skip back to my house, and we have another kiddush in my house yeah. with our next door neighbor. <laughs> but that Shabbos morning routine that now it's nine thirty a.m. I'm davened. I had a kiddush. I had a, a shear, and now I'm playing with my kids. If you develop that great Shabbos morning routine, whatever works for you, right. you will find that life and the rest of the week is just incomparably more enjoyable. And a young kid, maybe in consultation with someone like you, could do that, could develop that. Absolutely. You don't have to be married and have a family. Exactly. To do it. That great Shabbos morning routine, I think, is the key to uh, to modern life. You'll appreciate this, by the way. Mir Tashem, our Benyamin Zufrof, is going to be here in another few weeks. 
and our shul is pretty, you know, tight, about the size of this room. And but we're expecting a lot of people. So I said to him, I said, "You have one instruction: <laughs> you t- you choose your fastest friend when it comes to Balkori. Whoever whoever lanes that portion of fastest, that's the guy I want up there." You know what's good for you? You should send uh, Yerucham an invitation asap. He's, good point. There's no one faster. He's don't, the greatest. Don't know if we have room for him there. Uh, but, he's the greatest. <laughs> and we don't want to, we don't want you to lose him that job. I mean, come on. Well, is there a backup? There, there, there is a backup. Maybe we'll take one of his kids. <laughs> Rabbi David Bashevkin, you must come back. I think I said that to you last time. Always a joy to You be must here. come back. There are just too many topics, too many things. We did not even get into one of the articles you've recently written oh, for Mishpacha no. Magazine. Okay, not we'll even one. Back. But this week, if people buy it this week, what did you say the topic was this Top week? five morning practices right. that we might need to shelve. Right, and one and of them, s- the nine-day special. And we say it with a <laughs> wink. Right, of course. Well, I wish you a um, an easy, I guess we'd say, nine days in Tisha Thank above, you so much. Or ten days this year. And yes. people should be more accurate, you know? Exactly. This year it's exactly. ten days. And uh, hopefully, I, I hope that before the uh, brand new year, we get the chance to speak again. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Rabbi David Bashev, he's got a big social media presence, by the way, everybody. That's right. He'll be tweeting out this interview once it becomes available. Oh, you certainly will. (laughs) Once it becomes available on our archives, guaranteed, Rabbi Bashev is going to be sharing this with everybody unless he really does feel that he said something which is going to get him into (laughs) serious trouble. But we'll still try to convince him to do so. Uh, We'll go to Ari Goldwagon, wrap up a Thursday, three weeks format here at JM in the AM.
My brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web, and AlchemySingle.com, on the AlchemySingle Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Wraps up an amazing and incredible Thursday here at JM in the AM. Plenty tomorrow, including the weekly update. Make sure to be tuned in. Have a fabulous Thursday. Till tomorrow, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.